Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here. Hey, beautiful day. It's so good to be with you. I'm thankful. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning, and uh, thankful we get to get into God's Word together. <clears throat> I talked to a friend this week who has started working with a um, parachurch ministry in our community just as a volunteer. And she said she'd recently uh, been serving with the ministry and another one of the volunteers happened to be a pastor. And so she began having conversations with him as they worked together. And she and the pastor, you know, obviously began talking about church and faith and spirituality and the pastor told her, you know, I, I really believe that all religions are just different paths to the same God. And my friend was really surprised to hear a pastor say that, right? And so she asked him, well, if all religions lead to the same God, then why did Jesus have to die? And the pastor said, you know, I've never been able to figure that out. In last Sunday's sermon, Jude said that false teachers are like waterless clouds. They, they appear to have nourishment, but in actuality, they, they just look good on the outside and they're empty on the inside. He said that false teachers are like wild waves of the sea. They, they bring to surface their own shame while at the same time they toss their followers to and fro by their strange teachings. And he said that false teachers are like wandering stars. You know, instead of keeping a steady course, guiding people to safety, they, they wander and they lead people into dangerous places. And because of the, the damage that these false teachers do, both to non-believers and to believers, God says in Jude 4 that, that he has already designated them for eternal condemnation. So it's a very serious thing. Now, if these false teachers uh, were really fake and they were shameful and they were dangerous, then why in the world would people want to follow them? And why do so many people today want to follow false teachers? And how does God want us to contend for the truth in a way that honors him? And, and as we do that, what is our, what's our hope so those are the questions we hope to answer as we read the rest of Jude's letter this morning. So if you have a Bible with you or your phone, tablet, whatever, um, please turn with me to the, the little book of Jude. And we're going to start in verse 16. And remember, Jude is, is this little letter written by Jesus Christ's younger brother. And you can find it right before the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And last week, we, we looked at verses 1 to 15. And Jude described the false teachers with a lot of descriptions, uh, but he described them as ungodly people, uh, perverters of the gospel, rebels against Jesus, selfish, greedy, arrogant, and foolish. And now in verse 16, Jude writes, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, Showing favoritism 
to gain advantage. So why would anyone want to follow these types of people? Well, Jude points to four reasons. First, these false teachers encouraged sinful living. Okay? They encouraged sinful living. Verse 4 says that these false teachers perverted the grace of God by teaching that Jesus' death and resurrection for sinners freed sinners to live as sinfully as they want to. And so that is a very appealing message to people who love sin, right? Which is all of us in our natural state. I mean, how tempting to follow self-reclaimed Christian teachers who say, listen, just follow your body. Follow the desires of, of your flesh. Follow your fantasies. Eat, drink, and be merry without restraint. And, and listen, don't feel bad about it because the Lord died for you. He loves you. And the bad part about that teaching, of course, is that it's all a lie, uh, this is not the faith and message that was delivered to us by Jesus and the apostles. I mean, what about that fruit of the Ho- Holy Spirit called self-control? <laughs> or uh, what about Jesus' command to deny ourselves? Not to follow ourselves, but to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and to follow him. What about this command that God says over and over in Scripture, be holy as I am holy? Many people are are watching videos and reading books and listening to podcasts by teachers who tell them, listen, just accept Jesus into your heart and you can have it all. Health, wealth, prosperity, fame, friendship, peace in your heart. And when you die, guess what? God's just gonna give you a lot more of it. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? It sounds really good but it's not true. It's, it's not the faith that was delivered to us that we are urged to contend for in verse three. Here's what Jesus says, our good shepherd and Lord. In Luke 9, 23 to 25, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In some translations, it says his, loses his soul. So unlike false teachers, our Lord Jesus doesn't promote selfish, sinful living, right? Jesus tells us instead to put our old selves to death and to live new lives in him. That's the message of Jesus. And the second reason people were enticed to follow these false teachers is because they were grumblers. It says they were malcontents, discontented with their lot in life. Now, it it might sound funny to you that being a grumbler would be attractive to people, to followers, but I don't know if you've ever noticed the effect that grumblers can have among a group of people. Uh, They can quickly draw together a group of like-minded people. Um, they went over people by saying things like, you know, we deserve better than this, don't we, you guys? We, what, listen, why don't we get the recognition we deserve? Can, can you believe those stupid people, those other people? We know so much better than them, don't we? And if we're honest, we can all be pretty good at grumbling ourselves, right? And so it's something we have to guard against, Uh, We're not immune to this, but by fanning the flame of 
discontentment in people's hearts. False teachers can, can gather a group of disgruntled people who are unhappy about their lot in life and who are ultimately discontent with God. The third reason people were enticed to follow these false teachers is because they, they claim to have special authority because of their dreams. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, verse 8 says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. It can be enticing to follow people who claim to have such a close connection to God that they can hear from God in a way that nobody else can, right? Um, talk about a quick way to shut down an argument, right? It's hard to argue against God told me so, okay? Did God tell you so? I didn't think so. He told me so, okay? <laughs> or God gave me a vision. He told me what we're supposed to do. Did you get the vision? I got the vision, okay? Uh, God showed me what's inside of that person's heart. He's given me the sixth sense that I can read people's hearts and motivations. Listen, when that sort of language is used by people to manipulate situations or to hurt people or to contradict God's commands in Scripture, that is not Christ-like behavior. That is the way Satan acts, not Christ. And God tells us, be careful with those who claim to be prophets, okay? Be careful of false prophets. In Jeremiah 23, 16 to 17, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no doubt, no disaster shall come upon you. They're lying to people, right? A, a person's ability to see visions does not necessarily mean that person is spiritually mature or that his or her message is true, okay? Any message that contradicts the truth that God has already revealed to us in his word must be rejected, period, right? God doesn't contradict himself. And the fourth reason people were enticed to follow all these false teachers is because they were smooth talkers. Uh, in verse 16, Jude describes these false teachers as loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So these teachers were very self-confident, uh, very arrogant, uh, boasting in themselves, and they spoke authoritatively, uh, they spoke boldly, which quite honestly is very attractive to large groups of people. And also it says they use their words to show favoritism to people in order to gain advantage. So they were likely uh, flattering influential people in their midst, in their community, hoping to win them over so that they could become more powerful. Okay? And, and they were probably flattering normal people too in their congregation, just hoping to win their allegiance as followers. An uh, interesting book came out a few years ago called Defining Deception, written by Costi Hen, who is the nephew of the uh, controversial faith healer Benny Hen. And Costi grew up in the 
inner circle uh, with, with Benny and has since come out to rebuke the, the ways that he had learned to manipulate people. And, and so what he writes in his book is this. Costi writes, false teachers are good communicators who understand how to manipulate feelings without directly addressing the need for individuals to pursue holiness. Hear that? So that the, the part that is absent in their message is a call to holiness, to Christ-likeness. Let me say that one more time. False teachers are good communicators who understand how to manipulate feelings without directly addressing the need for individuals to pursue holiness. And um, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles had seen tricksters like this and the, and the things they had done to manipulate people and warns us elsewhere in their letters about these people. In Romans 16, 17 to 18, apostle, the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So some of the main reasons that people were enticed to follow these false teachers were uh, that they were encouraging sinful living. They were grumblers. They claimed to have special authority from their own visions, dreams, and they were smooth talkers. So the next question then is this. How does God want us to contend for the faith? Right? In light of the presence of teachers like this, teaching like this, followers of teaching like this, how are we to contend for the faith in a way that doesn't mimic the world but that mimics Jesus Christ? And so let's keep reading, Jude 17 to 23. He writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So in these verses, Jude gives us eight ways to contend for the true faith that was already delivered to us by Jesus and the apostles. First, in verse 17, Jude tells us to remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what they said. So the the Christians to whom Jude was writing at this point in the first century um, were already familiar with the apostolic teachings of Matthew and Mark and Paul and Peter. And they'd already... Uh, the apostles had already warned these people that false teachers, uh, they're gonna show up and they're gonna try to divide you and they're gonna appeal to your lusts and they're gonna scoff at the teaching that we handed down to you. And so what Jude does is he tells us to 
Remember what the, what the, the apostle said so that you can stand on guard against false teachers, okay? Be ready. And, and Jude also wants us to know that because God already told us this would happen, listen, we don't need to panic, okay? This is an indicator that God is in control. God sees everything. He, he knows the plans of these false teachers. He knows their motivations. And he has already des- designated them for condemnation, and then further, he says, listen, these false teachers do, do, do not have the spirit, and you do, okay? That's good news for you. They're devoid of the spirit, you're not. And so, it is by the power of God's spirit in us that false teachers do not have, that we can contend for the faith and trust our promise-keeping God who fills us, Okay? It's the first thing. Second, in verse 20, Jude tells us to contend for the faith by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. So contenders for the faith must be strong in the faith. Okay? To contend for the faith, you have to be strong in the faith. And again, the faith that Jude is describing here is is mainly probably what we would today refer to as the New Testament. At this point, it hadn't all been penned yet. That was happening as this was going, as these letters were being written. Jude's letter obviously was included in the New Testament. But at the heart of this is this faith, which he describes, is who Jesus is, and he's God, fully God and fully man. What he accomplished in his living, dying, and rising, and what he commanded us to do. Okay, that's the heart of the faith. And Jude says this, this is the most holy faith, okay? This is, a, this is the faith that comes from God who is holy and it is to be set apart as objectively true. It doesn't matter if people don't want it to be true or don't feel like it's true. It is true because it's from God and it is also eternally true. It is unchanging. It doesn't change from generation to generation, People need the gospel right now just as much in 2021 as they did in the year 21 or 121 or 521, okay? This faith is, is what we call the teaching of the apostles or the teaching of scripture or simply doctrine, Christian doctrine in which God wants to build us up. Um, and if you think about what the first Christians did, we already know that in the second chapter of Acts, they devoted themselves to three or four different things. But one of the things they devoted themselves to every time they got together was to the apostles' teaching, to doctrine, okay? And this is what they contended for, and it is what God commands us to contend for in this time, in this place, in this community, I recently had lunch with a friend of mine who's a uh, professor at Denver Seminary. And he said that in his 30 years teaching at the seminary, he's never seen a time more urgent than right now that Christians need to learn Christian doctrine. Each generation in our country is less and less familiar with the gospel and with the Bible and with the basic truths of Christianity. And that includes many, many people who would call themselves Christians. And obviously, this is not the trajectory God wants us to be on. And so to correct this, we as the church, as believers, 
we first, man, we've got to ask the Lord to put in our hearts a fire for him, a desire for him and for his truth and for his word because that's just not in us naturally. And we go through phases and stages in life where sometimes we're on fire for God, sometimes we're not. But you know, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, put our church on fire for truth. Put, put me on fire for, for you, Lord Jesus. And, and then um, by his power that works in us, we start reading the Bible with joy, okay? The joy of the Spirit, because this is good news for us. This points us to our Savior and what he's done for us. And we worship God together in response to the gospel. As individuals, it starts as individuals, as you're sitting on your back porch or whatever in your chair and reading your word, as you're gathering with your family to discuss the, the Bible a little bit, as you gather with your growth group, as we come together as a lo- local church, we have to bring ourselves together for the purpose of apostolic teaching or simply biblical teaching. And if we do this, if we as Christians will saturate ourselves with gospel-drenched uh, Bible teaching and at the same time, humbly ask the Lord to build us up. Do, what you're ask, do in us what you're telling us to do, Lord. Build us up in our most holy faith. Then this is what will happen. Scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will transform our minds. And Scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will transform our hearts by the truth and by the love of God. That's what will happen. And we have to have this happen in us first if we're able to if we're gonna wanna contend for the faith with people who may not even have this, right? Who don't have the truth and love of God in them. We've gotta have it first. And so um, that's the second one. Third, in verse 20, Jude tells us to contend for the faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. And he mentions the Holy Spirit again because we pray in the Spirit because we have the Holy Spirit. He's drawing a distinction between the false teachers in the true believers. We have the Holy Spirit, not because we are rock star Christians, but because this is a work of God's grace that he does for all who believe in the gospel and whom he gives new life to. He sends the Holy Spirit into their hearts, guaranteeing their salvation until the day of Jesus Christ, okay? And so, unlike the false teachers who boast in themselves, who boast in their own strength, this is the New Testament teaching. We, we, we can only boast in our weakness. That's what we bring to Jesus, weakness. And we can only boast in Jesus in his death and resurrection for us. We, have no, we bring nothing after this life besides that. You get that? None of your possessions go with you. You, have, you can boast about zero except offending the Lord. That's it. But Jesus, by his grace, gives us himself and covers us with his grace. And he says, boast in me, boast in me. That is great news. (laughs) That is a God who loves us. Um, And so to pray in the Holy Spirit, what we gotta do is we gotta, I don't know about you, I struggle with prayer. I mean, some of you are prayer warriors and some of that's because you've been doing it a long time. But sometimes my prayers are like, Lord, please help me to pray. <laughs> so I'm praying for help to pray, okay? Um, and help me, God, to have you on my radar. 
Help me, Holy Spirit, to stay sensitive to the holy impulses and your leadings, which are not in my flesh. And then God, help me to act on those. Help me to pray the prayers you want me to. Help me to pray the prayers that are in alignment with your will. That sounds like a big thing. How do we know what God's will is? You read scripture. Because he's already revealed to us what his will is. And so we pray according to his will. We pray for those things. So in this context, how do we pray according to his will? Well, we pray for our enemies. That's what Jesus told us to do. Pray for your enemies. We pray for the false teachers who abuse the gospel and who lead people astray. We pray that the Lord would convict false teachers of their false teaching, their ungodly lifestyles, and that he would grant them repentance and faith in Jesus Christ before it's too late. We also pray for ourselves, right? We pray for great faith in the Lord. We pray for more joy in the Lord in the middle of our difficult circumstances, uh, we pray that God would, Lord, please give me the right words at the right time to speak your truth in love, with gentleness. And if we are the ones perverting the grace of God by patterns of sin in our own lives, then we pray, Lord, convict me, please. Search my heart, Lord. Search my life and see if there's any grievous way and lead me in your way everlasting. Help me to confess my sin, to own it, to confess it to you and to others, to bring it to the surface. And God, give me courage to change and give me your spirit's power to run from sin rather than to embrace it. We also pray, what else do we pray for? We pray for the spiritually lost, right? One thing I've noticed about this letter, last week's, Message was a heavy one, right? When I got into Jude, I didn't quite know what I was getting into. And so it was kind of a weird first sermon to preach with you guys. But I noticed after the sermon, there were a number of people that really struck a nerve with them. And I think part of the reason why is because uh, in God's word, he doesn't mince words with us about truth. And many of us have loved ones and friends who we know are rebelling against the Lord right now with, without remorse. And they think they're living their best life. They're, they're happy. But in reality, they're following a crowd. They're on the wide path, not the narrow path. They're following the wide path of people down the path of self-destruction that Jesus warns about. And so we pray for them. Lord, would you, would you do for them that they are never gonna do, do for them what they are never gonna do for themselves? Would you break into their heart and show them the ugliness of their sin and the majesty of Jesus Christ so that they just throw it away and trust you? That's what we pray for. I, that's my prayer. I don't pray, Jesus, would you woo them a little more to you? I'm like, this person's dead. They don't want you. God, please make them alive to you. Use your word, use the gospel, use the love of Jesus to make them born again. That's what we pray for the lost. And you know what? If he's done it for you and for me, he can do it for other people, amen? And so that's our prayer for other people. Lord, do this again and again and again for the glory of your name. Um, 
Fourth, in verse 21, Jude tells us to keep yourselves in the love of God. He, he's, Jesus said this in John 15, 9 to 10, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So in order to live out God's will for us, we've got to abide in his love. This means every day we get to and need to return to God and depend on God and his love for us. We return to him and we remember every day, he loves me and he saved me because of Jesus. I'm saved through Jesus. And so we abide in God's love while at the same time, we strive to obey him, okay? It's not our obedience that saves us. It's the grace of God that saves us and that fuels us to want to obey Jesus. Does that make sense? Did I say that clearly, Jonah? Okay. Um, now, we can't contend for the faith if we don't abide in the power of God's love for us and for the lost. That would be really silly, let me tell you why you should love a God who I don't know if he loves me, right? It's like, man, I think a lot of the Christian life really, and I think Ephesians, uh, Paul says this in Ephesians, a lot of the Christian life is trying to get into our heads how much God loves us, trying to really believe it because that is what changes everything and what changes the way we view this life in eternity. Fifth, in verse 21, Jude tells us to contend for the faith by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And the mercy that Jude's describing here is the mercy that the Lord will give believers on the day of Jesus' return. This, this mercy, it's this big word I'm not gonna dive into too much, but it's glorification. It's our future glorification in Jesus, which will happen when he returns and removes sin entirely from us in our eternal existence. It will no longer be part of our existence for those of us who are in Christ. And many times in scripture, God tells people to wait patiently and to trust that he's at work, even when you can't see it. And so in light of all the havoc that these false teachers have, have created in the church, Jude tells Christians, listen, Keep your eyes on Jesus, okay? Wait patiently for Jesus. He is coming back. He's coming back to punish the wicked, like he said. He's coming back to right all wrongs, and he's coming back to bless you beyond all measure, right? That's fuel for faith and for contending for the faith right there. Six in verse 22, God tells us to um, have mercy on those who doubt. And this is where he gives us kind of pastoral, real practical applications on how should we deal with different people, types of people in our church who have been affected by these false teachers. The first one is this, have mercy on those who doubt. So the false teachers had done damage to believers, but also to those seeking the truth. They put barriers in the way of people who were trying to find Jesus. And so to heal the church, it, was gonna, it would require the church to be full of mercy, peace, and love, which is what Jude prayed that we would be full of in verse two. Do you remember that? If you look at verse two, may mercy, peace,
peace and love be multiplied to you. And now he's saying, may the Lord fill you with that and now may you be distributors of that to one another. And the church is told here to have mercy on those who doubt. This does not mean we excuse doubt. This does not mean that we glamorize doubt. It means that we recognize that doubt is real and we deal mercifully with one another as we attack doubt with the truth of the gospel. Um, But rather than attacking people for their doubts, listen, we're supposed to be kind and patient with one another just as the Lord has been so patient and kind with us, right? But ultimately, we don't want to follow the path of doubt. We want to follow the path of faith in Jesus. Seventh and verse 23, God tells us to save others by snatching them out of the fire. This is vivid language. And it describes a group of people in the church who not merely have doubts about the truth, but who are actually starting to take the bait of the false teachers. Uh, Jude tells us to act, you need to act with more urgency toward this group of people. Um, God tells us through Jude what? He says, save them by snatching them out of the fire. Wow, that's a big responsibility. (laughs) That's serious. And so what that means is we plead with people in this group not to, we plead with them to slow down. Don't drastically abandon the faith. Don't leave your church family. Don't abandon the truth. We warn them with a tear in our eye about the road they're headed on not because we think it's true, but because Jesus says it's true. And we pray diligently for these people that God would empower them to leave these bad influences, bad relationships that are leading them astray. And we, we pray that God will keep them in the truth. And then eighth in verse 23, God tells us, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So here God tells Christians, uh, how to treat this group of people in their midst who, who have now abandoned the true faith. This is the third most serious group. They've abandoned the faith. They're full-fledged disciples of the false teachers. And God didn't say, listen, really give it to these guys. <laughs> he said, hit them over the head with a bat. That's amazing. He says, act mercifully toward them. While, and is it, this phrase is interesting, while having reverent fear for the Lord in our hearts. Never forget who your primary allegiance is to. I think a lot of the reasons people follow the path of false teaching and heresy is because they get the two commandments messed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Sometimes people love others as themselves more than they love the Lord. And I think that path can lead them down the wrong, the wrong path really quickly because it can say, I love people so much, I can't imagine God would do this, this, and this. But what God says is this, listen, you can't play, you can't play around with the stuff they're playing around with. And you don't need to become like them in order to minister to them. Do not fool yourself into thinking you're immune to the same temptation that entrapped them, that, that ensnared them. Instead, with great caution, We warn them with love. We pray for them. And listen, we stand strong in our faith community and in the doctrine of God that hasn't changed and won't ever change. 
won't ever change, okay? And so these are the eight ways that, that Jude tells us to contend for the faith delivered to us. And then the last question that I said we're gonna get to is this. So what's our hope as we're doing this, as we're contending for the faith? These are big commands, okay? We are not big people. Who are we to learn Christian doctrine, right? Not a professor. Who are we to remain in Christ's love? Who are we to pursue Christ-likeness? Who are we to warn false teachers and their followers? What is our hope that God is going to work all this out that, that he's actually gonna work through us and that everything's gonna be okay at the end. Well, let's read how Jude closes his letter in verses 24 to 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So as we strive to learn Christian doctrine and to remain in Christ's love and to pursue Christ-likeness and to warn false teachers, our hope is not in ourselves and shouldn't be in ourselves in our own strength. Our hope alone should be in Jesus Christ and in his strength that he gives us, okay? That's how we know that God's gonna work through our lives and that he is going to make everything's okay at the end, okay? Verse 24 says, he, the Lord, is the one who's able to keep you from stumbling. You can't keep you from stumbling. I can't. We're really good at stumbling. Jesus is the one who will keep you from stumbling, Philippians 1.6, it is the Lord who began a good work in us. He will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Jesus. Well, what about our blame? What, what are we supposed to do with I'm a blameworthy person? Listen, Jesus is the one who took our blame upon himself when he died on the cross. Our blame died in Jesus' body when his body died. And when he rose again, he justified us. It means he already declared us not guilty of sin and blame. So because of what Jesus already did for us, verse 24 says that on the last day, this is what he's gonna do. Jesus will present us blameless before the presence of his glory. And he's gonna do this with great joy. Why? Because he loved us first. He loves us. We are his bride whom he cleansed with his own blood. This is all Jesus. This is all for his glory and our joy. And so let's strive to know Jesus and to know the Lord and, 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 and to obey his commands. What do you want from me, Jesus? Let's strive to take joy in the Lord as we read his word and, and as we get to know him and pray to him in faith and as we worship him and as we do the hard stuff of repenting of our sin and as we contend for the faith together. And as we do that, listen, listen, our hope is not in our perfect obedience for God but in the Lord Jesus' perfect obedience for us.
That's where the hope is. He is the God who loves us, who we long to know, and who is worth our everything. He is our glory. He is our boast. He is our salvation. So to the only God, only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths, God, that even though our lives change, our circumstances change, you don't change. Your finished work on the cross and your resurrection doesn't change and your word doesn't change. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to contend for the faith humbly, um, to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness as we just celebrate your love for people who have messed up. And we thank you, God, that your word is true, that your love is certain, and that you've already shown it to us on the cross and in your resurrection. We pray this for your glory. Amen.